Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome in to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. And guess what, guys? We finally have some news from the ACC. It has been so long, but the ACC has given us not only the format that they're going to go with, but the games that everybody will play this upcoming season. Now, we do not, of course, have the dates. Uh, Those are expected to be released sometime later on next week are the rumors that we're hearing. But, of course, uh, that's something that you should take with a grain of salt right now. Uh, They are going to try to do their best to figure out how they're going to get all these things, all these scenarios situated, make sure um, that they can get these teams here and there. And, of course, they'll probably be a lot of flexibility throughout the season. So normally this would be a topic that Josh would handle with us, but tonight we were going to do a recruiting edition of the podcast anyways to come on and talk about Peyton Page, talk a little bit about uh, Travion Stevenson uh, because Zach wasn't with us um, when we ended up going through his commitment. And so Zach has gracefully uh, joined us tonight to also talk about his reaction to the ACC schedule announcement. Um, Just a couple of keynotes out of the gate for uh, you people wondering exactly what maybe, you know, the the schedule ultimately is going to look like. So the Tar Heels drop all out-of-conference games as of right now. Uh, That means Central Florida, Auburn, James Madison, and Connecticut are off of the schedule. They have 10 conference opponents, which were determined today. They keep NC State and Virginia Tech at home. Uh, On the road, they keep Boston College, Duke, Miami, and Virginia. The additions to the schedule are Syracuse and Wake Forest at home, as well as Notre Dame, who will be a part of the conference here in 2020. We'll get to that here in a moment. Um, And then on the away side of things, the only game that they add is Florida State. They will have to travel down to Tallahassee to play the Seminoles. So, a couple of key things uh, to note here, um, and we'll kind of go through that as we go forward, but just your initial reactions to 
this schedule that was released by the ACC and maybe just the overall timing of when they decided to release this, Zach? Well, I, I do think that it was, um, at least in my opinion, and I don't know, you know, with everything that we're looking at in terms of college football scheduling, it seems like conferences more and more are kind of in wait-and-see mode just to see sort of if they can have all the information available before making any sort of decision and then making an informed decision there. But the ACC today does go ahead and sort of determine that they're going to go to a, a 10 conference game schedule with the addition for one additional out-of-conference game. The only stipulations to that out-of-conference game is that it has to occur within the home state of the program that's playing in, or the ACC program rather that's playing in that game. So mm-hmm. of course for us that's North Carolina and the team that plays must at least follow the same um, health guidelines and uh, testing protocol um, that the ACC or the North Carolina in particular would follow. So that this allows teams like uh, Georgia Tech, like Florida State, um, Louisville, teams like that that regularly play SEC rivals typically in the last week of the season. It allows teams like that uh, to have their out-of-conference games and to you know keep their rivalry while also allowing each team just another slot to at least have a game that's outside of the ACC conference. So, like you said, keeping roughly you know six of the conference games that they had on the schedule while adding four more. So um, they're keeping, like you said, they're keeping the majority of their. Um, keeping the majority of their coastal opponents. Um, mm-hmm. They did take out, let's look here, let's see if I can get all that information that has that on there. So they, they I know that they took out um, Georgia Tech. Pitt and Pitt. Right. Uh, so Georgia Tech and Pitt, like you mentioned, and then, mm-hmm. of course, the non-conference games. So for North Carolina, that was Central Florida, Auburn, uh, James Madison, that's not doing football at all. Um, in the fall, and then uh, Connecticut. Um, so, kind of gives them some, some free reign there, um, not playing the full coastal opponents, but mm-hmm. add in, like you mentioned, add in uh, Florida State, Wake, and Syracuse from the Atlantic, as well as having sort of temporary conference member Notre Dame in there um, to, you know, go with the ACC during, you know, the coronavirus situation and sort of a, a very different college football season. And but one final thing on championship game which still looks to be held in Charlotte yep. um, the two teams as opposed to having you know the Atlantic and Coastal those two teams will be determined by who has the highest winning percentage so you know you have potential to see teams that have already played in the regular season yep. you're not bound by those divisions anymore so um, obviously Clemson will be one of the prime contenders in there for the ACC title game but now you'll have um, North Carolina Louisville Miami Virginia Tech and including Notre Dame in there as sort of the prime contenders that will all be sort of fighting for those two spots as opposed to a strict division-to-division model. Yeah, I want to get to Notre Dame really quick, but a couple of things that you noted there. Um, One thing that's kind of interesting is you pointed out that the ACC and the SEC really look like they're going to be trying to work together, set up the similar testing protocols and everything like that to try to maintain some of those rivalry games. Now, none of those, uh, the at-a-conference opponents for the ACC have been determined, but if they go off of those rivalry games, you would expect Florida, Florida State to play, uh, Clemson, South Carolina to play, Georgia, and Georgia Tech, and uh, I'm not sure if I'm leaving off any major ones there, but what it does is this opens the door 
for a chance to still play a game that we talked about has been dropped from the schedule for now, and that is the game against Auburn. There are rumors that they have talked to um, some of the organizers of the Chick-fil-A kickoff classic, as well as school officials over at Auburn, about possibly trying to move the game into the state of North Carolina. They have proposed a chance to play it uh, at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. Um, You know, again, there's no real confirmation on any of that as of right now. These are just rumors that we've kind of heard. I know uh, it was about a week ago we saw a statement from uh, the the, the people at the Chick-fil-A kickoff classic, the group that's around that, saying that they were doing everything possible to try to keep those games intact. So I think Auburn is one of those teams, when we talk about the out-of-conference opponents and who Carolina could potentially play, that could be a team that's still on the table. I think outside of that, you know, you're going to look in-state. I would like to see Carolina... I know it's tough. You want to play as many home games as possible. You always like to be in Keenan. I would like to see Carolina go to one of these group of five schools and play their place like App State. Somebody brought up potentially switching App State from next year um, with Auburn this year, potentially playing Auburn next year and playing App State in App State uh, this season, um, which is an interesting uh, way of looking at things. That could be a way that Carolina could look to go. Uh, Other teams, East Carolina, Carolina could be interesting, potentially, uh, you know, helping them out in this time. Same thing with Charlotte. The reason that I say that is because we know that, especially these group of five teams, all these schools are going to struggle with, you know, lack of revenue that's going to be coming in. You know, we've already seen Carolina's done some things to, uh, you know, adjust what Keenan Stadium's capacity is going to look like this year in terms of ticket sales. No season tickets this year. You're going to have to buy individual game tickets for each game, and the numbers are going to be limited. They haven't set that number just yet. You kind of wonder if it's going to go maybe, you know, start of the season one number, and then as they go throughout the season, sort of grow depending on what the situation is uh, with COVID-19, especially in this area, but I think it'd be cool for Carolina to help out one of these group of five schools, go there, um, you know, potentially be able to bring in a little bit of money to them if they can, you know, end up paying a little bit of money to them to come there. I think that could potentially help out some of these smaller schools, so that's something to keep an eye on. Um, I think, you know, you mentioned it, top of the conference, uh, now it'll just be, you know, all 15 teams are eligible to play in the ACC championship game, no divisions this year. I think that pretty much locks in Clemson. I'd be very shocked if Clemson finishes outside the top two. But the team of interest, and you mentioned them there, that everybody is going to be talking about is Notre Dame. And this team you know, has had a relationship with the ACC, of course, in basketball. They're a member of the conference. In baseball, a member of the conference. But in football, they have been really hell-bent on remaining independent. They have said they will not join the ACC. They like being independent. They like making their own schedule. They like having their TV deal in place with NBC not having to go off of a conference's TV deal. I, I mean, look, I, I'm i going to be honest with you. I think that it's ridiculous that they get to play for an ACC championship. They are not an official member of this conference. I don't see how a team that is not an official member 
is allowed to play in a conference championship game. I understand that the ACC was going to try to help them out this year, and you know I, I think that was great. I would have liked to see maybe some other conference kind of you know go along the same lines. Maybe the Big Ten helps them out as well to kind of fill their schedule. But unfortunately now, Notre Dame is just going to be included as part of the ACC. Um, and to me, I just don't think it's really fair unless they're any member of this conference a full-time member of this conference. What's your opinion on Notre Dame being a part of the ACC for this year? I've seen a lot of people that have sort of had, you know, a variety of opinions on that, mainly of the same opinion being, you know, Notre Dame is not a full member of the ACC, so why should they get the benefit? Why should they get the ability to play for a conference championship? And I've sort of looked into this because I, you know, had sort of similar questions um, just to, you know, get a little bit, uh, you know, theorize a little bit. I, I feel that the ACC wants to tie its wagon to Notre Dame. Like you said, you know, it's a big name school. They have their own independent TV deal with NBC. So they bring in a lot of money. So I feel like the ACC wants to, you know, really hitch their wagon. If they have the availability and have some way to fit them in the conference, don't really know how they would do that. Any feasible model to do that at this time, but you know, they're kind of pushing for that. So the pseudo deal that they had in the beginning with Notre Dame to have them, you know, play ACC teams in the football season and be a, uh, an ACC member in all other sports, um, obviously was something that they wanted to do. Um, but, you know, it, it's really a situation in which I feel that Notre Dame had the leverage, uh, you know, to, to make these decisions um, had they, you know, not allowed Notre Dame to, you know, participate. Notre Dame is going to be really hard pressed to sort of schedule all these games on the fly, um, so it, it's a it's a difficult situation for for them certainly um, from that perspective. Um, not that anyone's going to necessarily be sympathetic to them, but it's just a situation which you know Notre Dame's, in my opinion, had more of a leverage there and was able to use that and get a spot in the conference. Now, you know, like we've said, this is just for a year. I feel like with anything that's going on, even if it does seem unfair. Um, with the circumstances involved, there's going to be a lot of things that are different. Um, not only that we've seen with the ACC uh, conference schedule, but we still don't know what the other conferences are going to do. We right. still don't know what a group of fives and FCS programs are really going to do with a lot of them. You know, a lot of those conferences in the FCS in particular are already opting to not play football this fall. So, um, and we don't know what the postseason model is going to look like as well. So there's a lot that we still don't know. Um, this is really the first bit of, you know, concrete information that we've actually gotten to a plan outside of just proceeding as scheduled with a full 12 games, which doesn't seem to be an option for anyone with, uh, you know, several conferences like the Big Ten and Pac-12 already going to a conference-only model. So, you know, this is the first real tangible plan we've seen for a realistic fall football season. And, you know, this is just the way it is. And it's it's obvious that it's, right. you know, it's not going to be the preferred model for everyone. It's not going to make everyone happy. Yeah. Um, but it, it's the model that we have to play football in the fall and, unfortunately, or for better or worse, that's what we're going with. Yeah, I mean, we'll be talking about, you know, the Notre Dame situation, I think, up until the season and then throughout the season as well. Um, I think, you know, there's a couple of interesting things to keep an eye on. You mentioned it. What does the playoff picture look like? Um, I think, you know, look, if there's a year where you're going to, you know, expand the playoff, this would probably be a year. And it's probably a good experiment because we've heard a lot of people over the past few years saying, look, it should be six, it should be eight, whatever. I think eight's probably 
the maximum that you would go even this year. But this would probably be the year to test it out, especially with, you know, you got to look at scenarios, and we're going to talk about this as we get closer to the season, especially when we start talking about the Tar Heels uh, in general. You know, if you have a key starter, let's say somebody that, you know, you're starting quarterback, let's just speculate and it's the Tar Heels. Let's say that Sam comes down with COVID um, and can't play for a week or two. Carolina, you know, they end up day of the game, they find out, they end up having to throw Jace Reuter out there. Jace kind of struggles because he hasn't really been preparing as the starter for the whole week. Comes out, Carolina loses a close one. They end up, you know, dropping outside of the top six or eight or whatever. Um, You know, eventually, you know, next week, Carolina gets back on track. Reuter looks fine, takes over, leads him to a win. The week after that, Howell's able to get back into the starting lineup, and Carolina wins out the rest of the way. If you look at that schedule, and let's say that loss is to, just, you know, looking at our schedule, let's say that loss is to Virginia Tech, or maybe even Virginia, team like that. Um, you know, how do you really penalize a team that much because this year you're going to have circumstances like that. And I think that's why the playoff could potentially expand. You know, Carolina might not be that type of team that they're looking at and using as as and a reason to expand the playoff. I think teams like Alabama, teams like Clemson, they could look to use that sort of terminology to try to justify expanding the playoff, saying, look, let's say Trevor Lawrence misses a couple of weeks and Clemson loses a fluky game. They're going to still want Clemson in the playoff. They know Clemson will probably be at least one of the four best teams in the country, um, if not, you know, potentially the best team in the country. And if, you know, something goes wrong and they lose to a team that they're not supposed to lose to, they could drop far enough down the standings and end up getting left out of the playoff. That's going to hurt their ratings. People are going to say they didn't put the right teams in. That's where I think you could potentially see the playoff expanding. And the other thing, looking at this from an ACC perspective that I'm going to be very interested to see is, you know, does the ACC sort of take a page out of the Big 12's book here? We've heard a lot here in recent years about how the ACC is the Atlantic and the Coastal is way behind in terms of being competitive. You know, for a while there, Florida State was neck and neck with Clemson. In recent years, they've kind of dropped off. But, of course, you had, you know, right after Florida State sort of dropped off when Jameis Winston left, you had Lamar Jackson and Louisville sort of jump up there. People think Louisville is a team that could jump up there again. This year might be the second best team in the conference. I think, you know, if the ACC really does believe that the Atlantic is just that much more competitive than the Coastal, and if they end up playing this year out and say, look, this model works a little bit better for us, I wonder if the ACC could potentially go uh, and just get rid of the divisions. They'll still probably keep a lot of the rivalries in place. Um, They still would be able to do that. I think, you know, they could potentially go to a model where um, you, you have no divisions. Your top two teams each year, based on conference win percentage, go into the 
ACC championship game and play each year. So that's another thing that I think uh, we should keep an eye on going forward. It'll be interesting to see. Of course, Carolina, as we mentioned. Um, one more time, I'll read off the opponents to you. They have 10 opponents so far that are determined. All of them are conference opponents. Uh, you got at home NC State, Notre Dame, Syracuse, Virginia Tech, and Wake Forest. On the road, Carolina will travel to Boston College, Duke, Florida State, Miami, and Virginia. As we've said, they're at a conference opponent as of right now. Uh, is not determined, but we know that that person will have to come to the state of North Carolina if they're from an outside state. If they're in-state, Carolina will have the option to be able to travel there or play the team in Keenan Stadium. And as we mentioned, as of right now, there are no dates in place. Those are expected to be released sometime next week, according to some rumors that we have been hearing. But again, we are not certain about that. But we'll keep you updated on everything around the ACC scheduling, Carolina's scheduling uh, for the 2020 season on HeelToughBlog.com. We've got an article up there if you want to read uh, a little more into what we just talked about. Uh, there's a little more information in there. You guys can check that out. And we got a couple articles that will be coming out around this topic as well over the next couple of days. But we move on, go to the recruiting side of things. And uh, look, you know, I, I it's hard to ignore this storyline. I know a lot of people were kind of saying we knew this was going to happen. We've been hearing this for a long time. But Peyton Page committed to Clemson. We expected that, especially, you know, with what we've seen from his recruitment really since the end of last high school football season. Clemson has really taken over his recruitment there, became a heavy favorite. Tennessee made a little bit of a push when they were starting to make some headway on the recruiting trail, but once they signed Katron Evans, that pretty much eliminated them from the race unless we had seen Isaac Washington or Katron Evans himself decommit from the class because they had two defensive tackles already in the class. Open the door for the Tar Heels, who reportedly did make a late push for him. Um, his parents were still in communication with Carolina, as was Peyton, and the staff uh, did try to make a late push to land him, but unfortunately, it wasn't enough. That now leaves Carolina with Tyrion Ingram Dawkins and Tyleek Williams as the guys that they are targeting in this class, but as we've heard a couple of times and are still kind of unclear on, Tyleek Williams is a guy that some people are saying Carolina has backed off. So, ultimately, I think the big question is here, what do you make of that late push for Peyton Page? Because I think, in my mind, it maybe shows that Carolina is not overly confident in where they stand with Tyrion Ingram Dawkins. Is that maybe kind of the feel that you get from that late push? I think so to some extent. I mean, we have stated that Carolina has always still been um, maybe not, you know, heavily in the race for Peyton Page. Obviously, Clemson got a very good um, early start there and then maintained that lead up until his commitment. But obviously, you know, UNC never backed off. They never didn't want his commitment. They were still recruiting him. Uh, they they weren't, you know, pushing him as one of the top targets as a Keyshawn Silver or a Jalari Ritzy or anything like that. But they definitely wanted him in this class and would have taken a commitment from him. Um, so I... I you know, there is some extent to which this does throw um, their chances with uh, the two others that you mentioned, uh, Tyrion Ingram Dawkins and uh, Tyreek uh, Williams, into question. Uh, with Tyreek in particular, you know, I 
have also heard sort of the similar reportings um, that, you know, North Carolina either might not be in it as much or might back off to some extent, which really just leaves Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, which obviously we've seen um, specifically North Carolina commits on social media really make a big push. We've seen, um, you know, some reciprocation posting edits, you know, having interviews with other uh, recruiting outlets, things like that, um, showing that he at least has some interest and he's expressed in the past, you know, that he did want to make it out to North Carolina um, prior to a commitment, um, as well as, you know, other schools, South Carolina and Georgia to be um, particular. But um, um, based on, you know, current reporting, mm-hmm. is possibly looking at an August commitment, uh, but still has the possibility of delaying yet again. So, you know, it's pretty much the same as usual as we've seen where, you know, we get close to a commitment timeline and then it moves back, but still with the same three or four schools in there in state South Carolina, obviously in a very good spot, Um, UGA as well. And then Tennessee were sort of the top three going into the summer, obviously UNC has inserted themselves there, but it's still a situation in which um, they obviously, I would be, you know, hard pressed to say that they feel like the favorite. They definitely feel like a contender, but it's a situation where he can really commit at any point, and um, there's not a lot of good intel that suggests that it would be the Tar Heels. So, you know, it's exactly like you said that late push. They're most likely reevaluating, as you know, any good coaching staff would do, and are trying to make that, that push with the tar- with the uh, you know the targets on the board. And, you know, as we've discussed, we think that they do want to add sort of a defensive tackle nose guard type. Not that it's necessarily a hard-pressed need that they're going to go from a guy even lower on the board if they don't get one. But right. it's obviously one where, you know, you sort of connect those dots and come to those conclusions where um, if there's going to be a guy, it might not be one of these three. Right. I, I, I think, uh, you know, you, you brought up a good point there right at the end. I don't think it's a hard-pressed need where, like you said, if they don't get one of those two guys, then they're just going to start offering anybody to try to get them in there because they desperately need a body. But I still do think it is a position of need, mainly because when you look at the position, you've got Jaleel Taylor there, you've got Clyde Pinder there. Those are the two guys that are kind of built body-wise and playing style-wise to play that position. Kedrick Bingley-Jones is going to probably move inside to play there. Kedrick, when he was back in high school, played more of the four-eye technique, but he has the body size where he was able to put on enough weight and I think is a smart enough player to where he'll be able to hold his own there at nose tackle. And then the other guy that is kind of marked there, but we just don't really know what exactly he is, is Wisdom Osaburo because he's built... Kind of a lot differently than a lot of the other guys on the defensive line. I mean, six seven, he's in the two seventies, but you got to think, two seventies for him is a little bit thinner than some of the other guys in terms of his frame because at six seven, that's a lot of height to go with that weight. So, um, you know, I think that's that's maybe why you look at this as a position of need. I'm with you, though. I don't feel like this is a dire position to need. And one of the big reasons why it's really not a dire position to need is because it feels like if they wait until 2022, the state of North Carolina in particular is loaded in what looks like a fantastic 2022 class 
of defensive tackles throughout the country. I mean, you look just in state, five-star uh, defensive tackle Travis Shaw. Carolina's already got a good relationship with him right down the block in Greensboro. Um, that feels like one that Carolina's going to be in till the end, of course. When it comes to big-time defensive defensive tackles in particular in the state of North Carolina, who is always in the race? Clemson. That's the team that's going to be the biggest threat to them. So it looks like that's probably going to be another Clemson-Carolina battle for him. If they don't end up landing him, well, there's two other really good options here that Carolina has also established really good relationships with. You got four-star Curtis Neal, who plays at Huff High School in Cornelius, a school that uh, now is turning into just a a machine, a factory uh, for some of these guys that want to go on to the next level. I mean, I I can't remember because I'm in the Charlotte area. I do a show here um, that uh, I do on Facebook called QC Preps. We were going through their roster, and I remember it was something like 14 or 15 starters have Division I commitments or offers at this time. So they're absolutely loaded. You know he's he's going to be coached by a really good group of guys, very talented player that's only scratching the surface. And then you've also got a guy that is, you know, a teammate of another really big target in the 22 class, four-star defensive tackle Santana Hopper out of Shelby High School. Of course, his teammate is uh, the uh, weak side defensive end Malachi Hamrick. So, I mean, look, Carolina, I think, is in really good standing with really all three of these guys. I think Shaw is another guy. It's something about those Greensboro area guys where it's just really hard to get a solid read on those guys. It's as if information just gets lost inside of the Greensboro area because none of those guys are ever really there. You know, there's not a lot of information that comes out on them until usually the very end of their recruitments. Very similar uh, to you know Peyton Page as we saw this year, Miles Murphy as we saw last year, and even like Zaire Patterson this year, another guy that you just didn't hear a whole lot about until right at the very end uh, before he committed. So um, you know, it's going to be tough to get a read on uh, on Shaw, but it feels like Carolina's in a good spot with the other two. You know, do you think that with that much talent in the 2022 class that the staff may just be smart to wait until then and possibly even double up if they can? Yeah, I think that there's definitely a chance of that and it could be a strategy. I don't necessarily think that they're you know, actively avoiding taking a defensive tackle or nose guard in this class for that reason. Right, but, right. but, you know, if they don't, it will definitely be an added bonus um, on sort of the, you know, the makeup of that defensive line. I feel like it's a, you know, position room where they're willing to rotate guys, not only rotate a lot of guys, but rotate them in different positions. So while you do have sort of the traditional nose tackles in um, Jaleel Taylor and Clyde Pender, I feel like, like you said, a guy like, um, uh, Kedrick Bingley Jones, uh, maybe even Miles Murphy, depending on how they want to use him and how he develops, mm-hmm. um, they're going to rotate those guys into play uh, what would be considered the nose guard on snaps. They just want to have good defensive linemen there, regardless of if they fit a traditional size mold. So while they do want some more of those traditional, uh, you know, not necessarily shorter, but sort of squattier bodies to fill up the space there in the middle, right. they're willing to rotate. So it might not be you know a situation where they necessarily need to have four or five guys ready to play that position in a three-man set. Um, but like you mentioned, um, it, there is certainly talent there 
in state in the 2022 cycle and not to dwell on the 22 cycle um you know all that much in this podcast that'll definitely be something for some others that are down the line but uh, you know a lot of those guys they really want to get involved in and really want to add them there um another you know north carolina um recruiting cycle that is probably not as deep as 21 as we've mentioned but does have some really really good guys there at the top so um definitely one that you know if you have that additional playing time if you have that additional you know spot there in the rotation to sell it always helps and you know it might be the best situation involved for north carolina to really sort of have that ability have that extra sort of trump card in their hands so to speak uh, to play on these 2022 defensive tackle recruits so we'll also, you know, we're going to stick on the defensive line pass rusher group um, and look at a guy that Carolina did land in the 2021 class uh, just about a week and a half ago now. Uh, Travion Stevenson, the three-star weak side defensive end. Um, and this was, you know, one that kind of came very quickly. Um, you know, Carolina uh, ends up, uh, you know, they, of course, after George Wilson scrambling a little bit to try to find a guy that can fill that weak side defensive end role, that seemed like you know an area where maybe we didn't realize it throughout most of the cycle because we felt like guys, you know, like Des Evans, um, as well as you know some of the other guys that Carolina landed in this in this past class came in Rucker, AJ Beattie, and of course some of the guys that are holdovers, uh, Chris Collins, and potentially some of the other guys. Another guy that could possibly fit in there, Matthew Flint, would be another name to keep an eye on as well. But we, you know, we thought maybe Carolina would just roll with that group there since they missed on some of these guys. Apparently, Carolina saw rush end as a position that they needed. They end up going out, getting Travion Stevenson. After he decommits on Thursday, Carolina landed him on Saturday of that week. And uh, Carolina worked quick. Stevenson seemed to be very encouraged by uh, everything that he saw from Carolina um, and also kind of revealed that he apparently was a pretty big Tar Heel fan all along. Um, you know, looking at, at Travion Stevenson, I feel like a lot of people are, are really kind of less than impressed with the fact that he is a three-star, lower three-star. I mean, according to 24-7 Sports, just on their normal rankings, he's actually a two-star. Composite brings him up to a three-star. But, you know, what are your observations of what you saw from Stevenson? And ultimately, do you think that he's a good fit for this Tar Heel defense? I think he is. I mean, the first thing that really jumps out is that he does have the length and the size to play the position. So, you know, even though you can look at just the star rating and see, you know, hey, this guy um, isn't at least mathematically in the rankings where we've seen a lot of these other commits in the class. I mean, you look at the film, you can see the length, you can see the long arms, you can see, you know, based on his profile, he's about 6'3", 6'4", listed at 217. So probably, you know, if you want to even that out to 215, 220, just on any given day, um, they think that he has the you know ability to put on bulk. Was a very productive player here in his uh, his most recent high school season. So um, I think that it's a guy that can be you know productive, um, a guy that can be you know a solid player, if not a very good player. And I think another thing to look at that we've seen in some of these um, you know target classes so far, and I think a lot of this has to do with Jay Bateman. Um, sort of influence is that we've seen them take lower ranked guys that sources have said, you know, yes, these guys are lower ranked. Yes, mm-hmm. they're less heralded necessarily, but they're guys that the defensive staff specifically saw and saw as, you know, maybe not an athlete that's fully polished, 
but one that has you know a lot of upside, one that we can develop and mold and really you know create into a power piece within this defense. And that, I mean, that goes back to what Jay Bateman did at Army when he was sort of running the the Army defense um, that have obvious limitations to you know how they recruit and the guys that they can get, the athletes that they can get on their campus and how they use those. So I think that obviously you know we've seen Tar Heel recruiting at least in terms of the numbers we've seen that pick up specifically here you know in the last two classes but I think that there still is a um, you know an ability and a role um, based on everything that we hear about Jay Bateman to take some of these guys that may be less heralded that are maybe less polished or have less exposure and really turn them into you know into solid contributory pieces within his defensive scheme. Yeah, I think uh, you know Bateman is a guy that really likes to find those hidden gems. The one thing that he values, I think, more than anything is an attitude about a guy, a guy that's willing to say, look, I don't really fit a specific position because I'm willing to do what you need me to do. And I feel like that's probably what Stevenson's mindset is. If they want him to put on, you know, a bunch of weight over the long run, if they think that's what ultimately fits his game well, which I think, you know, he has some physicality to him. So if they wanted him to eventually move inside to 4i, he would probably be willing to put on 40, 45 pounds to get up to uh, that area and, and be able to contribute there. If they wanted to use him at the rush end position, have him put on about, you know, 20 to 30 pounds, um, you know, that I think that also would fit him well. Um, I think, you know, the thing that people have to realize here with Stevenson is he is is a work in progress. He's going to be a guy that when he comes in, the staff is going to have to get in the weight room. There's certain aspects of his game that they're going to have to polish. He's going to have, you know, he's going to have to be a better run defender. Um, I think there's some good things to like about his pass rushing, but he probably needs to get a little bit more technical. But there is upside here. Look, Carolina wasn't the only Power 5 team that was in on him. He was committed to a Power 5 team just before he committed to Carolina in Pittsburgh. And there were some other teams that were in on him, including right at the end, before Carolina landed him, um, Georgia was a team that offered him. So clearly there is something here that's attractive to other teams in that, not not only in the Virginia area, um, you know, because we saw teams like Virginia Tech, Penn State that were also on there, but really all around the country. Teams were starting to jump in on him. So clearly there is something here. The star rating, you know, again, this offseason especially, star ratings are something that you really, really can't just base your opinions on guys off of. you got to throw on the film. Even the film's hard because, again, if you watch highlight tapes, that's going to be the best of guys. You don't see the moments that they struggle. You'd have to go through, get the tapes from some of these actual high schools and go back and watch them. But I think, you know, it's it's always good if you watch the highlight films to kind of see certain attributes about a player, get a feel for what their ceiling could be at some point or the type of potential at least uh, that they hold, uh, you know, when they eventually arrive to campus. And, uh, you know, I think there's some hope here. The other thing that, you know, these people that really want to go off of star rating, the thing that I would point them to is keep in mind, 
over the past few years at Carolina, there have been some really, really good players that have been low-rated guys, and they end up being fantastic players. Guys that come to mind, defensive side of the football, Cole Holcomb's the standout that most people should remember, was a former walk-on, ended up becoming a guy that gets drafted into the NFL, and his senior season in 2018 was probably the best player on the Tar Heels defense. Um, I I mean, I, I don't think that many people saw that coming. If you had that, then good for you. Um, There's no way that if you had that, you had Matt Collins being as good as he was. Of course, another guy came in as a walk-on. For a while there, they thought he was going to end up actually helping them out at corner. They ended up moving him to wide receiver. Of course, went on to get drafted into the NFL, had a historic career at Carolina, one of the best deep ball catchers that Carolina has ever had, and was a key piece for Carolina in their 2015 and 2016 success. So again, you cannot just go off a star rating throw on the film, learn a little bit about these guys, and you could see that Carolina maybe could be getting a hidden gem here, and uh, you never know who's going to end up jumping out uh, of some of these uh, these groups to become uh, some of these better players. So, um, that'll wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. Uh, we want to thank you guys for tuning in to this edition. Of course, as we told you, you can go on to the website, uh, check out the article um, where we give you all the information about the ACC schedule announcement. Um, there's also an article up there that you guys can check out on where Carolina goes now that Peyton Page has committed to Clemson. Where do they go at defensive tackle, a position that is still seen as a position of need, but as we mentioned earlier, not a position of dire need. And then, of course, if you want to, you can go back, check out Travion Stevenson's commitment article if you want to get more of a feel for what he's going to bring to the table altogether. Of course, when it comes to the podcast, make sure that you go on to wherever you listen to the podcast, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. The rating and reviewing helps us move up some of the rankings so that some Toriel fans who haven't quite found the podcast yet and been as lucky as you guys are can eventually find it. Also, when you subscribe, you won't miss an episode of the podcast. We have so many great ones coming up. Uh, as you know, the ACC show today, they are going to do everything they possibly can to try to play this in the fall. It looks like it's going to end up happening, so we're going to start preparing as if this season is going to get underway. Um, the date they released uh, today is September 7th would be the first day that they would allow teams to potentially start playing games. So, Uh, We're preparing as if September 7th is going to be the start of the year. Um, That pretty much puts us in line with where we normally are. So, of course, we'll have all the in-depth position previews coming out, as well as all the other fun articles and podcasts coming up. Make sure that you you subscribe to the podcast feed so that you don't miss any of those episodes. So I want to thank Zach for stopping by with me tonight, hosting the show. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tor Heels!